Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. The Last Lap Podcast. Probably the best thing to listen to whilst you're waiting for a rain-soaked Brazilian Grand Prix to actually start. <laughs> yes, I like it. I like it. That's good. <laughs> um, so here we are. This season is winding down. We are now one Grand Prix away from the end. Uh, and that must mean that we've just had, uh, last weekend, the Brazilian Grand Prix. It's the Brazilian Grand Prix, and let me take you back in time. It's 2003. Terrible weather delays the start of the race. Once it finally gets going, the track begins to dry, with the exception of a small river of water running across turn three. A river of water that catches out several drivers, sending them into the barriers, even Rainmeister Michael Schumacher. But the chaos at turn three was nothing compared to the final corner later in the race. On his 54th lap of a planned 71, Mark Webber lost control of his Jaguar coming up the hill towards the start-finish straight and bounced off first one side of the track and then the other, coming to a stop against the pit wall with only one wheel set still attached to his car. This alone was a bad enough shunt, but seconds later, Fernando Alonso, who normally goes well here, came barreling around the same corner, hit one of Webber's tyres lying in the middle of the track and then was helpless to control his Renault as it ran head-on into the tyre barrier, sending him spinning and tyres all over the track. Never mind the safety car, this was a full red flag situation and as the race was mostly complete, it actually triggered the end of the race. Then there began a debate as to which lap was to be counted back to in order to determine the race result. Initially, it was assumed that this was Giancarlo Fisichella, who was in the lead on lap 54. But as if we hadn't had enough drama already, his car at the time that this decision was being made was on fire in the pit lane. In the end, the race win was given to Kimi Raikkonen. Although even that turned out not to be the end of the situation, as further examination showed that the victory should indeed have gone to Fizzy Keller, with a take-two version of the podium held at the next event to give Fizzy his trophy. It was a race where anything could, and as, you, as you've just heard, did happen. That is the kind of race that this circuit is capable of throwing up, and with rain forecast this weekend, and it being the penultimate race of the season ahead of Abu Dhabi, it's perhaps the last chance for a good race to cleanse the memory of Mexico. Let's see if it delivered with Andrew and Sean. With the title being down to the wire, um, we were treated to <laughs> a, a, an exciting, slightly extended <laughs> and a little bit stop-start Grand Prix um, where pretty much anything and everything could have happened. Um, uh, but in the end, we still ended up with a Mercedes 1-2. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? When you have, <laughs> there's that much, that much chaos, panic, disorder, safety cars, crashes high speed incidents pit stops everywhere people on wrong tires and we still ended up with Lewis beats Nico 1 2 <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> when it's fated <laughs> it appears to be fated so <laughs> uh, what can you say yeah the thing with i mean right away the thing with Lewis and Nico when after qualifying obviously Lewis manages to to get pulled by i think about it was only about a tenth was it a couple of tenths at the most in it so yeah. well, done, well done to Lewis he, he got the job done in qualifying then the rain comes for the start of the race, and you just knew that Lewis in front and, and Nico in second 
that's that's good enough for Nico at this stage in the season. As, as we all know, he only needs to come second to Lewis till the end of the season to secure the championship. So in those conditions, he was never going to take any any silly risks, was he? <laughs> Up the inside of Lewis, you know, under, when the safety car finally uh, let them go racing for real. He was always going to just tiptoe, make sure that he got the car home in second, didn't put it in the wall, kept it all four wheels on the track and, and, and did the minimum that he needed to do. And, and you can't blame him for that. But w- w- what it resulted in was that, you know, Lewis never really had any pressure at all on him up front. Uh, the only way I think he would have had pressure was if Max had been able to, to get involved with him, which which wasn't to be. And and, and we had, outside of, uh, from third down the way, it was interesting, but the front two just were, were pretty much start to finish, wasn't it? Just Lewis and... And then Nico. Yeah. Um. And you can't blame Nico for that, you know. But no, I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, if you're driving in second, and, in the, con- and the conditions were pretty awful most of the race. Um, when, when it dried up a little bit, he wasn't too far. He was keeping up with Lewis. But as soon as it got <clears throat> a, a t- hairy at all, you could see that he was backing off because there was just no need. There was no point in... Um, doing anything that meant he'd have skidded off at a turn, beached in gravel, hits a wall, um, and loses all the points to Lewis. So there, there was almost no chance of him um, challenging for the win under those conditions. No, um, absolutely not. So it, it was what it was, really, in, in terms of what Nicker was going to do. And when the weather is as bad as that, when you're out front, you've got such an advantage of driving through all the clean air, picking your lines that much better because you don't have to get out of spray. So you can say, well, if I want to go around the outside, I can, or I can go at the inside. And you're probably going to still take the the inside racing line. Um, and it goes on, that goes on to later as to why I think you, you saw Max Verstappen's drive was so much of uh, the alternate lines. Um, because from where he was, he had to. He had to get out of the spray to see where he was going to go, to see where he was going to overtake and who he was overtaking. Um, and thankfully, that that gave us a um, a bit of a grandstand uh, finish, despite the fact that it was really third at best when yeah. it kind of ran down to it. But let's let let's walk our way through the race um, and the finishes, and we'll, we'll kind of I think we'll see where it, things were won, lost, and and who was heroic and who wasn't. Um, and I think you have to say, the topping the list of the least heroic, uh, Roman Grosjean. <laughs> we were just talking about this on Twitter a few weeks ago. Yep. Um, anybody who hasn't actually started the Grand Prix, I'm sure. Who was it? Was it um, Vettel hasn't. And there was somebody. Um, somebody else crashed on the formation of who? Oh, Lucas Degrassi. Lucas it was Degrassi. Lucas Degrassi. Well, yeah, so it's funny how it's just a couple, maybe a month or two at the most ago that, that we were talking about that. But poor, poor Roman bends it up the hill and uh, and doesn't even get to get to start. Uh, so, what did you nominate him for there? Least inspiring, least heroic, least heroic. <laughs> yeah, poor Roman. Not <laughs> even at full sort of, race speed. <laughs> it was a little bit Roman Grosjean two thousand and eleven. That wasn't it. Just <laughs> I love Roman. Uh, you know, a jest, but yeah, wasn't wasn't great. <laughs> um. Let's. Uh, I guess we should talk about the people who um, had an uh, an influence on the on the race in terms of causing things to happen and the order in which they caused them. Uh, Mark Ericsson, 
crashed lap uh, 13, I want to say. Yep, in the same spot as pretty much everybody, wasn't it, coming up the hill? Yep. Um, I don't want to get on his case too badly because it was horrendous conditions, but if there's one driver you thought might crash in those conditions, he'd have been near the top of my list, you know. Ericsson. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, anybody can crash in those conditions. Look at, look at Kimi Raikkonen and Felipe Massa, two of the most experienced guys on the grid. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't put this way, I wasn't entirely surprised when I seen Ericsson. Had done it. <laughs> I'm being harsh. I know I'm being harsh, but yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, uh, Kimi Raikkonen in... Uh, well, that was that was the real scary one. That was, really... that was right after the restart, wasn't it? So everybody was bunched. Bunched, bunched up. up close. Um, and it was one of those horrible ones where where you see somebody slew across the track, yep. seemingly in slow motion, and you just think, somebody's collecting him. Um, and the miracle, fact that it was, it was nose to nose, or it would have been nose to nose, was just really scary very um because we'd had the we'd had the vettel vettel had spun hadn't he a, a few laps before and yeah, ended up facing the wrong way the and everybody and, yeah. and brundle was saying these cars are not crash tested nose to nose but at least exactly. that was on the <laughs> on the inside of a corner where people had a, probably had a chance of missing him if you're uh aquaplaning across the middle of the start finish line um with uh two wheels on your wagon you you got no hope really have you you're, you're totally in the uh, in the hands of all of your fellow drivers um uh who who was it who nearly missed him um max first wasn't it i think Gutierrez, i think um, no no it was a manner it was under the manners i think uh, it was um not verline the other guy ocon uh yeah uh, definitely the manner yeah i mean i could you do that incident another 10 times and and you could easily be collected nine of them you know it's just pure yeah. Pure luck, pure chance that he that that he got away with it. Thankfully, obviously he did. And then again, you know, Kimmy just pretty, you know, philosophical about the whole thing afterwards. Not much to say, but um, they're definitely a scary one. Uh, and, and Max nearly dropped it coming out of that corner as well. You know, that's what I'm saying about Ericsson. I don't want to be too too harsh on poor poor Marcus because anybody could drop it in those conditions. But um, yeah, just. You know what can you say? You, you want to see them go racing, but at the same time, the aquaplanum was extremely, extremely poor at, at, at times and throughout the race. So, so it was a difficult balance to think: should they be racing? Shouldn't they be racing? Do, do you think that they got it right on the whole? I, I have to say, um, I actually think that they did the right things. Um, people were, you know, spitting the dummy and uh, and complaining vehemently that oh. You know, this is F1. These are the pinnacle of most sport. Best drivers in the world. Let them out and get them race. But it doesn't take, as Kimi Raikkonen showed, it doesn't take anything at all. You can be one of the best drivers in the world and it will make no difference if you hit, yep. you, you happen to aquaplane at when the wrong point. When you aquaplane, that's it. Um, and then you're heading into the wall at potentially 200, 200 kilometers an hour um, or slowing into the track or, in, or worse, into another driver or, or uh, you know, off track into where another car is being recovered or another car is sat stationary. It, it just isn't Brundle. worth it. And I think, I think these days, um, there's no sense in the stupid risks that people used to, you know, that used to take and say, Oh, well you, you know, you race regardless and you race full out and you, you do all these bits and pieces, but it's, you're, you're just asking for somebody to be, uh, you know, h horrifically hurt 
or, or at worst killed for no other sense than getting the cars to stop for 10 minutes whilst you wait to see what the weather does. What did you make of the delay then at the start for 10 minutes just to then send them out behind the safety car? I think that was odd, but I again, I see the logic in it in that they felt that if they'd sent them out then, they'd have just been going around the track for 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah, um, no, I see what you're saying. In the worst part of the weather. So the tyres are going to get cold, the, everything else, the cars are going to hate it. Um, what's the point? If they felt that in 10 minutes it was going to get at least better enough. And that was the problem, is I think that everybody thought in 10 minutes it was going to get better and they could get out um, and start getting the spray off the track and, and kind of get going. Um, but as it was, it got it, it then got worse. So they, they were stuck behind the safety car, and um, uh, and then it, you know, obviously we had the accidents, and then the the other red flag um, uh, later later on in the Grand Prix. And I think it's just you know you you have to remember that these are people whose sole job it is to be in charge of the lives of Formula One drivers. Um, and if it came down to you and you were sat there with the actual ultimate control over the likelihood of somebody dying, I really don't think most people would sit there and say, you know, it's your fault if this person dies because you sent them out onto the track when it was too wet. I don't think most people would. Or if they do, then they're some kind of sociopath and you probably need to <laughs> go and speak to somebody about your disregard for other people's lives. Um, it, it is what it is. Do you know what I mean? And... As much as we'd like people to get away with standing starts and uh, to um, be racing and let them race, I wouldn't want to be in the position to have to make the choice. Uh, but I think if I did, I'd always err on the side of caution. Yep. No, I mean, that's given, you know, the, the improvements that we've made in safety over the last 20 years, there's, there's, no, there's no justification for taking a needless risk. Um, the the guys that seem to be getting a lot of the stick here isn't so much the race directors, but um, but Pirelli. Well, the, the, the wet weather tire. The, the wet weather tire doesn't seem like it. It was doing its job, did it? But no, it wasn't. It didn't seem to be clear in the water. But then again, it was raining constantly. It was always raining. Do you know what I mean? There were very yeah. few periods where that it really stopped raining hard enough for there to be permanent. Uh, a permanent reduction of the water. You you got drier lines, but it never got dry. Um, and again, what I guess again, you, you'd have to work find out from Pirelli what their mandate for these tires are, because um, they've produced five sets of tires that degrade. And you can't tell me that Pirelli, if they'd been given the option, wouldn't have created one set of tires that was very fast and also very durable. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm pretty sure that probably would like their tyres to look as good as they possibly could and not fall to pieces and also give us quick cars. Um, so I don't know whether the way that the tread blocks work, um, whether Pirelli is totally in control of how it's designed those wet weather tyres or not, or whether the FIA has said we don't want wet weather tyres that give too much grip. Um you know, or what we don't want to have is a wet weather tire that forces the issue of going out when it's potentially far too wet. You know, there, there needs to be a an obvious cut off for the tire. 
you can't say. So you can't really say whether Pirelli have produced on purpose uh, a poor wet weather tyre or whether it is just a, happens to be a poor wet weather tyre. Um, I've seen, I think it was Sebastian, basically said it was only suitable for going around behind the safety car and you couldn't go racing with it. Uh, well, there's just no no grip. But you'd have to you'd, like have you to, say, you'd have to then say how come Lewis and Nico did 43 laps on it then? Yeah, putting true. in the fastest laps and all the other bits and pieces. So I don't have, and Sebastian did the same amount of time on on those tires in his last stint. So yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't drive the cars, eh, so we, we can only imagine how how difficult it is to 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 do to to, to go in these conditions. Um, I just seem to notice that Pirelli were getting a little bit of stick for the wet tyre. I mean, Pirelli have been getting stick for their dry tyres for as long as they've been a tyre manufacturing company in Formula 1. That Somebody's had something to say about their dry tyres. But I just found it a bit interesting that that, they, that their wet tyres were, uh, were getting a bit uh, of pelters as well. Because, you know, it's not something that I'm, I'm used to seeing, you know, in Bridgestone, Michelin, etc., the wet tire was just a wet tire, and it was kind of standard, and it, 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 that was it. There was nothing really to say about it. Whereas uh, I just I found it a bit a bit odd that 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 was coming up in conversation. Yeah, I think it. Um, one of the things that sort of came up was people were saying, "Oh, what ha- whatever happened to the monsoon tires?" Um, and it was pointed out that the thing about the monsoon tires was that as soon as it became wet enough that you wanted to move to them, um, it was. <laughs> almost certainly too wet to too race, wet to race. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they served yeah. no real useful purpose although now I, I kind of look at look at it a little bit and go well um maybe you need a monsoon tire to handle the conditions like brazil which wasn't a monsoon it was nowhere near a monsoon but there were parts of the race where lifting water w- would have been probably a bit better although it would have been better to have been lifting more water than the wet tires currently were so extreme wets rather than monsoon um even if that means that all of those tires are are for for filing around after the safety car to lift up water from the track uh, and that you know they don't race particularly well but they are good at lifting the water um so that cars have to be out on them um at some you know when in the in the Wet, wetter conditions yeah, yeah. trying to keep the track ready so that when they get to go racing they can race for a couple of laps on them maybe to really get the worst of out of there and then then come into the pits yeah uh, that, that's a no-brainer for me that that's that's to me that's the way they should go you know when it's raining like that the the tire should be to to, to, to clear the water yeah. you know to get to, to, for them to be able to drive the car in those conditions it shouldn't be about trying to eke every inch of performance out of them their sole purpose should be to make the cars safe to drive in those conditions and and i just we didn't really get that i think from pirelli at the weekend and that's why they got a little bit of uh a little bit of p- bad pr like that, that i'm sure they're i'm sure they're used to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well indeed well i think the other thing is is that um if you look at it in a way of saying if you had a tire like that you'd need um, you'd need less safety car time because the yeah. the track would be more improved, and, if, uh, and if, then if, you if, could, if, then if, you could allow the, the the drivers to 
to feel the track conditions getting better or worse because then you'd have the wet tire to go to if you felt it was still raining but not anywhere near as hard you know so it was still going to be wet and you still needed to keep on lifting it but it wasn't as bad as when you needed to to dry the track or, or, or pour water, get water off the track and then you had the inters for when it, it's damp and you you know you you need that you know it would really be a true intermediate then because kind of at the moment it, it feels like the intermediate is the wet tire and the yeah. wet tire is an extreme wet tire but an extreme wet tire that doesn't really do, do what it's supposed to do because yeah. they almost never choose to run with the wets on this is like the first race i've seen in like the pirelli era where you've seen them do any any length of time on the wet tire yeah but I you agree, used to yeah. see it all the time didn't you the inter yeah. was actually something you you didn't see that often no it was popped on for maybe five or six laps in between the wets and the it going to slicks but a lot of people waited and and left themselves on the wets um it just and then jumped straight badly. to slicks it just shows you how badly they hated the the wet tire when guys were coming in for the inter in brazil when it was, it, there, was literally, no there was no way in god's earth that it could have been intermediate conditions when jensen came in on like um his like, radio message was tremendous yeah. where he was basically like if you leave me on the enters i'm gonna die like he was like i'm gonna crash into the wall you have to pit me now and the engineer was just like okay <laughs> but he because yeah. he came in on lap eight um before all of the crashes to go from wet to intermediates and then lasted 12 laps on the intermediates before going on to the um back onto the wets so it's kind of like well we can talk about Jensen's race and stuff later on because I I have an opinion there. Uh, okay. So we've yeah, I mean we've spent plenty of time you know discussing the tires and stuff. So should we run through the the order? I mean you've obviously got Hamilton and Rosberg relatively safe in front. One minor scare I think for Rosberg. He kind of kind of had a little moment. Yeah, no, the yeah went a little um, a little bit wide and. Um, was it the last corner or the first yeah, corner? Yeah, it was just coming out of the, up the hill in the last corner where everybody else was spinning it. Yeah. Um, but uh, managed to keep all four wheels on the, on his wagon. And as we've said, you know, he's never going to take any risks. Seconds more than good enough for him. Just get get home, get out of there alive and, and live to fight another day in Abu Dhabi, which is exactly what he'd done. You have to say that one of the interesting things is that um, Lewis and Nico had exactly the same tyre strategy. They stopped exactly the same time both times. Yeah, because they just they would have. The, they the eked out the first stop until the second, the second stoppage. So they didn't pit under the safety cut, but they did. Pay, yep. Obviously, they changed under That's the red right, flag. Yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah, and then they would have changed under the red flag and then just pitted a, a, on another safety car. Was it for Massa? Yeah, Massa safety car. Uh, they could stack them and and pit them and yeah. Like you said, it was just it was, for for such a chaotic Grand Prix, it was pretty form, formation flying up front for the Mercedes, you know, just yeah. straight to the finish line, which is fair enough. The funniest the thing is if you if you look at the tire stops and stuff, you can literally see who won and who lost, and everybody who stopped <clears throat> twenty eight laps into the race for their wet tires, all clearly are much higher than you would normally expect to see them in the Grand Prix. Yeah. So you get yep. Sergey Perez, Carlos Sainz, Hulkenberg. Naza, Ocon, and Verline all pitted at, at the same time as, as Lewis and Nico under the the yep. red flag, and you could, yep. they're quite clearly in most cases three or four places better off than you would be if the race had been dry. 
Except maybe Perez, you might have expected him to be be able to do a fourth, but um... absolutely, uh, it's clear as day. And 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 generally, anybody who went on the intermediates, you know, maybe Max, notwithstanding, seemed to go backwards. You know, Bottas, the the McLarens, uh, uh, Magnus. I mean, I know these guys are in cars that aren't necessarily going to be up the front anyway, but but both Red Bulls as well. But just, yeah, exactly, Red. But yeah, Ricardo. There's the one. There's the perfect example, Ricardo. Yeah, who, um, who who went on the day meeters and and it didn't work. So yeah, Mercedes credit to them. They're able to dictate up front the best strategy and 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 they got it absolutely nailed on. And anybody who finished uh, sort of followed them in on the strategy, likes of Perez and Sainz, etc. They've 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 reaped the benefits as well. Mm-hmm. The man I think we want to talk about, though, is the third place, <laughs> isn't it? Well, listen, Nico, one, two, blah, blah, blah. Every, we, know, we, we know they've finished first and second. Let's talk about the third. What do we make of that drive? <laughs> it was particularly spectacular. Um, I think, <clears throat> you know, certain people retain um, the knowledge of, that they gain from the you know, the lower formulas that they've been on. And as everybody was pointing out that um, the lines that Max was taking were go-kart lines is what you do. Yep. If you're on a go-kart in the wet is you go offline around the outside because it's much grippier. Um, and um, you know, that that's just what you do. Of course, the interesting thing though, was that you didn't see everybody else doing it either. Um, that was so, what interested me because he's, he did it a couple of times and you would have thought, People would go, oh, he's getting grip out there, and, and sort of followed suit, and and they didn't really. It was a bit weird. Like when he went round Rosberg <laughs> early on, before before you know the carnage really got stuck in later on the red flag and stuff. He went round the outside of Rosberg, and I know that was quite early in the race. And I thought, oh, he's getting grip round there, and then nobody else seemed to, to to give it a try. No, it was you could see that during the safety course he was he was testing all the lines to see where. Yeah. He was he was getting the grip, and I did. It, it did surprise me that, that other people didn't do that. You have cotton to on to the fact that that's clearly what he was doing. Um, now, you know, uh, I'm not a Formula One driver. Um, I can't tell you what it's like to drive a Formula One car in the dry, let alone in the conditions that they were there. I would have to assume that even if the racing line isn't as grippy, it is still the fastest way to go racing. So. It must feel, I think, for a lot of people that if they feel that the car is going well and, you know, they obviously can't see necessarily a lot of what's going on or what lines of people taking because of the spray and or not necessarily being able to see the TV monitors unless you're out in first, um, that you stick to the racing line because it's the drying line. It's the car, it's the line that most cars are on. It's going to give you the most feeling of confidence because you can see the, the non-shining grey line that everybody else is following. Um, so I don't know whether it's a case that from necessity Max was heading out there. But even if that's the case, he'd done all of his sighting under the safety car to make sure he had some concept of what, of what that was going. So he had in his mind at least to use those areas of the track if he needed them. Whether, you know, in other circumstances he'd have, he'd have been out there so much. Because you kind of have to remember that the best bit of him, the most impressive part of his drive was when he'd had to um, come back out of, you know, off of Inters onto wets. 
yep. um, to do the final bit of the race where most people, other people hadn't stopped. So he had fresher, because they weren't new, new wets, but he had fresher tyres. And everybody else at that point, because it wasn't, um, it wasn't hooning down, there was a, 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 you know, a more definite dry line. So where the drivers were sticking to that mall, which was forcing him out wide, um, I, I don't know. And then, you know, whether the state of the tyres gave him some kind of advantage. Again, I don't really know. And I don't want to suggest that the only reason he could do all of that was because he had slightly better tyres. Because I think it took absolute um, balls of steel to go out there and try and do it. Because, um, you know, as as people were saying, it's it's so easy to go from hero to zero. You, you do eight brilliant overtakes, uh, you know, heading, heading into the outside of a corner uh, and then suddenly find that you're heading out of it backwards into a gravel trap. So, yep. um you know, make no mistake, it's an, it was an incredibly impressive drive, um, and the lines he was taking were obviously very creative. But whether those were out of necessity to be somewhere else on the track to try and make those moves work whilst he had an advantage, I you know, I think there is something to that alongside his talent about being able to make those moves stick and be as fast as he was. Do you think if they'd got the strategy a little bit better, he would have won the race? I don't know. It was odd that once he'd overtaken Rosberg, he didn't, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't anywhere. cruise up to Lewis, didn't he? he? Lewis was able to maintain the gap, which... which but know, then they, again, he, um, he only once spent he'd a couple done of laps that, he pitted, him. didn't he? He pitted for the Inters. So I don't know whether it was... when it, Once he'd passed Rosberg, he suddenly found that in do, having to do that, he'd taken more life out of his tyres than he was happy with. Possibly. Um, it just as it, it seemed that... He was only behind Lewis for a couple of laps, but it just did seem like it wasn't. It was never going to be as easy to get past uh, to get past Hamilton as it was Nico. And I think there's probably an element of Nico not wanting to take any risks at all with a man who, as good as he is, has had shunts in the past, Max. Uh, so I think Nico was probably ultra ultra conservative uh, when when Max did him, and and Lewis, who had to win the race, he has to win would have been taking more risks against Max to try and maintain the position. So there's possibly an element of that as well. But um, ibs and buts and maybes. But it's really it, difficult. Because... The way he finished the race, I, I can't help but feel he, he, it's almost, almost a victory that kind of got away from him. He was that good in that final stint that you'll look at that and think, I, I could have won that race, you know, with a little bit of luck with, you know, in terms of the strategy and stuff. He, he could have easily won that race, I think. Yeah, I... I... I think it's going to be one of those. We'll, I guess, we'll never know. Of course, um, yeah. Type of scenarios because you know it's the same when talking about the, this stupid oh, who's a deserved champion and stuff like that. You can't say, oh well, if Lewis had done this, then he'd be however many points ahead. The, the fact of the matter is that he didn't. And yeah, the if, champion's a champion. If you want to say. You know, if this happened, you could say that about anybody because you could say, well, what if, um, you know, what if Lewis bin the car in all of his races, you know, and it was all his fault, then Nico yeah, would have won the title for, for six, six or seven races into the season or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, there's no point silly, in saying, yeah. well, if he'd have kept on the tyres, he would have won because you just don't know because he could have done that. The tyres would have been more spent because he was pushing them harder than the two um, Mercedes were. Um, and he gets a puncture or, you know, runs out the tread. So they start sapping, all over the place and then he doesn't finish at all. So uh, I think it's worth just to say he did the race that 
he felt he had to do because of how he felt the grip was going. Uh, and ultimately, that probably cost him a shot at doing better than third. But the thing, the thing for me as well is that you know Danny Ricardo pretty much did the same strategy, didn't he? And uh, you know, give or take a lap or two and switching to between enters and wets, but. Danny was only able to get it back to was it eighth or seventh something I think uh, uh, eighth it eight, was yeah. Think, yeah whereas and Max was able to get past Hulkenberg, Sainz, Vettel, Perez you know no slouches none of them slouches so it goes to show it kind of just highlights how good it was from Max I think yeah yeah Daniel had a funny race I think him um, did he not lose places at the start as well I think um, under the when, when one of the restarts he ended up further back. Um, Maybe had a, I can't remember. I'm sure there was something that meant he ended up further back than where he was when he qualified. And but I when they did the when they did the pit for the final stint, I think the, the Red Bulls were together on the track, weren't they? At one stage, in fact, Danny might even been in front of Max, and Max came through and uh, he pitted took, a couple took, of laps beforehand. Who did Danny? Yeah, or Max? Yeah, yeah. But uh, there was a point where they were together on track. I'm sure of it, and. Um, and Max just scooted off up the road in pursuit of the rest, and uh, and Danny wasn't able to to go with him. Yeah, he got caught behind Hulkenberg, doesn't he? That's where he got up to, and then. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. He never got past, whereas Max did, and that was the difference. Um, do you think it's the best drive we've seen all season? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think you'd have to say. Can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would that I could easily point and say, no, this was better. Lewis so, Lewis getting through at Spa, maybe, but he's in the I Mercedes was, and it's so much easier to do that in the Mercedes. I also and the conditions were dry, quite, so you're like... I also think he was quite fortunate that day with safety cars and... Uh, and I suppose and that's true, stuff, isn't it? So. He, he, he gained a pit stop, didn't he, that day? So I'd definitely give... Um, I, mean, I think I'd give it to Max. It so to Max. Then. I, I've got a bad memory for these kind of things, but... Um, off the top of my head, yeah, I think it's probably the best driver of the season. If we were doing an awards show uh, today based on the whole season, you'd have to give a uh, specific drive of the season to, to Max there, I think. Yeah. Um, so Sergio Perez kind of inherits a, a fourth place, in, a, in I think in a lot of ways, in that the cars um, generally around him that should have been where he was, uh, well, all the ones that gambled on Inters. Um, yep, I mean he, he, and lost he's got, out heavily. He's got Kimi Raikkonen out of the race as well, which yep. um, and probably, probably Massa as well. Maybe it would have been certainly fighting with Massa for sure. And he, he, like I said earlier, he benefited from just following the Mercedes and with the strategy, just carbon copy of the Merck strategy. And the Merck strategy is usually the one to be on. <laughs> And 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 he and he benefited from that. Well, it was almost like when all around are losing their heads, just stay calm, be on the right tire at the right time. At no point did he go in the inters. Just he he recognised, you know, it's wet. <laughs> it's 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 really really wet. Let's be on the wet tire. You know, it sounds silly, sounds so straightforward, but it's true. Like the guys who went, you know, this these conditions are terrible. Let's be on the the most extreme tire. Perez and Sainz, you know, they benefited and. You know, in these conditions as well. You know, when there's a when there's a chaotic race, Sergio Perez is never that far away from scoring points or being on the podium. Is he? He's he's, he's very good at just you know doing his own thing, keeping all four, you know, keeping it on the track and 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 popping up 
suddenly you go, oh, Perez is in, in fourth, and you're not really quite sure how he's got there. You know, you, it's, it's a, it was a very Sergio drive, and I was I was quite impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Sebastian Vettel had a an eventful afternoon. Um, he always has an eventful afternoon these days. Yeah. Um, he he popped up with. Um, who did he pass? Who then complained that he knocked him off the track? It was Hulkenberg. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I can't remember. Yeah, but I can't yeah. remember who he was. It, it was squeezed out, but in those conditions, you couldn't possibly issue penalties or anything like that. You know, no. it's just Sebastian being. 2016 Seb and having a right little whinge on the radio about anything and everything, isn't it really? And uh, I mean, you'd have been, <laughs> you'd have been some steward to to throw penalties out for that kind of incident in those conditions. I tell you. No, absolutely. Um, he, I mean, I mean, the thing with Seb as well is he, you know, he, he went onto the inters fairly early, lap ten, and uh, it it just it wasn't as we've already said it wasn't the right choice and. I think he uh, he went on them, came back off them, and didn't go back on them. Where there was a few guys, the Red Bulls, the Bottas, the McLarens, they went back on onto the Inter later on in the race. I think Seb realised after the first failed stint, that's not not to try that again. Stuck with a wet tire, and ultimately was managed to to salvage fifth, um, because the Red Bulls and and, and the likes took the, took the gamble. But if, if you know. If, Realistically, you know, on pace, Daniel Ricciardo, at least for sure, should probably have finished ahead of Seb there. Yeah, yeah. Um, if he... Daniel Ricciardo had copied Seb's strategy, you would have to assume that the Ricciardo would have been ahead of ahead of Vettel. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, he obviously so little... he had a did he have a couple of spins, Seb? I think definitely had one one sort of the one coming up into the last corner, didn't he? Where he went on the grass. I wondered if he'd had another one. I thought he'd had another one. Only the one at the hill sticks in my mind because yeah. he was going well at that point. Actually, uh, that was that was that was near. The, it was quite early on in the race, I think, and he, he was going well, and uh, that kind of set him back a little bit. Um, Carlos Sainz picking another up man, an... another man who did the Mercedes strategy, yeah. didn't he? And got um, another excellent drive from. Carlos, who's, you know... Well, quietly going about developing himself into a very, very accomplished race driver, yeah. isn't he? Um, very under-the-radar sort of thing. Yeah, he's... I think he is... Um, I think he may turn out to be the uh, stopper in the silly season next season. Um, I think teams will start looking to really tap him up there were a couple of little things this season when they were like Renault were apparently vaguely interested although Renault were apparently interested in just about everybody um, and I think there was some vague talk of maybe the the, um, the Force India seat when it was up in the air um, yep. he's clearly well admired he's um, continuing to um, outdo uh, Danny, this season, of course, yeah, <laughs> um, which is all he's really got to do, you know. And and Kvyat's no slouch, despite the fact that he's you know been been booted about teams this season. 
Um, it would not surprise me to see, you know, if Red Bull can't offer him the opportunity, which they can't really at the moment, unless they get rid of um, Ricardo. You can't see how there's a space in Red Bull in the next uh, up to three to five years, yeah. really. Um, Max is not going nowhere, and unless, yeah, unless Danny, unless Max starts winning everything, and Danny gets his nose bowed a joint a little bit and fancies trying his luck elsewhere, that's the only way a seat of Red Bull will, will, will come up, and and you can't really see that at this time, you know. And if, even if it was to that was to happen, you're talking two, maybe three seasons down the line. Yeah. Carlos Sainz can't drive a Toro Rosso for five years, you know. So, <laughs> no. time waits for no man, as they say. And you know, you're looking around the, the top teams. The one obvious one is Kimi Raikkonen's seat, really. I mean, that would be the one that you would assume that would come up first. Um... And I've I've been a big Perez fan. I've already praised them today, and. Uh, Perez would be on my shortlist as well if I was putting together two or three names that I would certainly sit down and have a serious consider. Perez would be in that hunt. But Carlos is definitely, you know, he's definitely putting his name right in the frame. And if I was doing a, you know, having betting odds on it, he would be, he'd be right up there for sure for the favourite for that drive. You know, two or three seasons ago, we talked about guys like Bottas, Grosjean, um, Hulkenberg. These guys are kind of, you know, being surpassed now by by Carlos, you know, especially especially Bottas, you know, he was one that was getting really, really talked about, and the William, he's not been helped by the Williams at all this season. It's hard to blame him too much for a car that clearly hasn't really developed that well. But you know, nobody's talking about Bottas these days for for these kind of seats. You know, he's, he's he, it's a big season for him next year. Put it that way. Uh, and, and guys like Carlos have definitely come and, uh, you know, usurped him, essentially, and, 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 and Perez as well. The two of them are the two that that would probably be at the top of the list for me. I don't I don't know if you think there's anybody else there that, that would be, you know, if you were to pick three names that were going to get Kimi Raikkonen's drive, Sainz and Perez would be the first two I would think of. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you would stick in that category? For Kimi's Maybe. drive, probably not. Um, I mean, Hulkenberg's got to Renault, so you have to assume they're going to build a team around him over the next couple of years. Yeah, um, that's really it. You to know, be, to, to you, you're, you, you know, the the only other talent that's coming into Formula One that gives me any kind of like goosebumps about is, is really Van Dorn in the McLaren. Um, he's going. He's not going to go anywhere outside the McLaren for the next foreseeable. Not future, for, not for probably so. at least two seasons. So, like minimum, isn't it? And I'd be surprised if he isn't retained for longer than that. Yep, um, I would agree. With, so, with with Alonso wavering and, and Button only in the periphery, they they need to start building the team around somebody. And I think sens- sensibly, given that given that Van Dorn's in his mid twenties already, so you know he's not a nineteen year old prodigy or something like that. That's gonna, um, although in a lot of ways that that could work to their advantage because if you look at what's happened with Seb at Red Bull, um, you know he had four great years with them, uh, but was young enough to go. I think I'm going to try my hand at Ferrari. And with no compunction, whereas I think you know an, an older driver might have, um, you know, potentially thought about it a bit more, yeah, and not yeah. gone looking and gone. Well, you know, I'm in a pretty good place right now. Let's not, you know, let's not rock the apple cart too much whilst whilst we're going here. Let's take the take the advantage of of having a seat that I'm nearly not, near enough nailed into. You know, I am the golden boy of this team. Let's uh, let's do that. So you know. Van Dorn yeah. is probably going to be that person for McLaren long term, and then you see who they get alongside him. I would I would be surprised if it, if it wasn't. Um, 
the interesting thing about Kimmy's seat, and we go on about, you know, Danny and Max being sold in the Red Bull and how he was Carlos getting there, can he go to Ferrari? The, the you know, the one thing that would upset the Apple cart is if Ferrari tried to nick one of the Red Bull drivers. Mm-hmm. And well, then, Ricardo would be the I think that's who they tap up. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. And and then Carlos goes into the into the Red Bull. Yeah. And that wouldn't be you know, from a Red Bull's point of view, that that solves a problem, isn't it? Quite nice. Probably, probably wouldn't want to lose Danny, and they certainly wouldn't want to lose Max. But it's it's certainly something that you could see happening. So, I mean, if Kimi Räikkönen retired tomorrow, and you're Ferrari, you probably go, "Who are the three choices you've got? It's Perez, it's Sainz, and it's tap up Ricardo. They're the they're the three options realistically. Um, it's certainly going to be ve- probably not. I'm not sure how long Kimi's signed on to stay for. Definitely next season and. I'm not sure. If he, I don't think he has another deal beyond next season. But but the moment Kimi Räikkönen, you know, says enough's enough, that's when we're going to see a little bit of okay. Now 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 you're talking with regards to you know driver shuffles and things like that. He's 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 the next big one to go. Now that we've kind of solved the Jensen button, who's going into the McLaren uh, problem? Kimi will be the next you know ex world champion, seriously experienced driver to retire. That you know causes a, a, a proper ripple uh, in the driver market. I think, um, you know, don't quote me on this and don't hold me to it, but there's just something in the sneaky back of my mind that wonders if one of the Mercedes drivers goes. Wouldn't surprise me. You Wouldn't know. surprise me. And a, just... a, and a lot of that, I think, might be Lewis just choosing to go, potentially. Uh, just retire. Uh, well, just go, I don't really want to do this anymore. This is not, yeah. you know... This is not where I am in life. I'd rather be doing my music. I've earned all my money. You know, I'm a celeb. Let's um, let's live the lifestyle. Let's uh, see where that that road can take me. Um, Certainly wouldn't surprise me. Um, I don't think it will happen. Not for 2017, but I could kind of imagine that if 2017 isn't a great year for Mercedes, if it happens to be that the other teams really come on leaps and bounds with the new regs, um, you think you might. Yeah, I, I mean, I just kind of, I kind of, he feel like if you listen to him at the moment, he just seems very nonplussed about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine. I don't know. It, it feels to me like the Lewis Hamilton that we used to fight for absolutely everything, isn't kind of there. It's Lewis Hamilton, the three-time world champ, who you know has been there and done it all. So I don't know. That maybe that's unfair. Maybe that's really unfair to suggest that Lewis doesn't have the heart for Formula One anymore. But it doesn't feel like that's a million miles wrong. Whereas I think I don't kind of get that with Ros. I think if Rosberg lost the championship, he might just jag it in and just say, this is never going to happen for me. <laughs> I, I can't think of what goes on in Nico Rosberg's mind. If he doesn't win the world championship, like this season, if he doesn't do it this season, uh, that boy needs a good psych- psychologist. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. A good sports, a good, good sports psychologist to, to bring him off the floor again, three seasons in a row to get him back mentally for 2017 would be, Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about from from his own personal point of view. But yeah, Lewis. I mean, I, I do agree kind of what you're saying. It wouldn't surprise me if he if he did do that. I think 2017, probably 2018. I can't see him leaving. Beyond that, yeah, eh, or anything could happen really. And the fact that you know the the, the Mercedes, you know, they've you know, they've never had the closest harmony with the two drivers and stuff. It sounds so silly to say it would be a good thing to lose a man who loses Hamilton's talents, but 
it, it, obviously it wouldn't. It wouldn't be good to lose a guy who's as good as Lewis Hamilton. That's obvious. Yes. But freshen up the freshen up the team. You know, certainly ch- change is good, kind of thing. I, I see what you're yeah. saying. After three seasons of incredibly fractious inter team, yeah, exactly stress That's what I mean. and. Um, and you'd have to say that this season Lewis hasn't done the greatest um, show of uh, playing the team game in terms of yeah. PR and bits and pieces. Whether they go, look, maybe if Lewis isn't, you know, where's Lewis going to go to? Do we, is he going to go to Red Bull? No, he's probably not. Is he going to go to Ferrari? I'd be very surprised. Um, so if we let him go and replaced him with... Oh God knows, who knows? Sergio Perez. Let's just say Sergio Perez for the sake of sake of saying somebody. Mercedes team to Mercedes team, and we had Sergio Perez and Nico Rosberg who have no history together. Um, how you know? There's there's you're getting somebody who's new to the team who wants to impress and is going to you know. And you think about Sergio Perez. You never hear Sergio Perez bad mouthing Force India ever. No. Um, is it? Does it? it seems like it. it suddenly like become more. Player, you know? more appetizing to take somebody on for the team if they feel that you know the car is still out there performing well ahead of all of the rest of the um rest of the field they can probably they can probably afford to not necessarily have lewis in the team um to win them grand prix titles mm-hmm no, that's probably true. Like whether like they say, see it like that or not, I you couldn't possibly tell. You'd have to you'd have to be running a Formula One team and really understand what it goes into it to see whether that even would cross your mind, or if it crossed your mind, you'd immediately just go, "No, what am I thinking? I'm going mad." <laughs> let's, <laughs> I, let's put down this 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 beer or the fifteenth beer that I've been drinking after the last PR outburst from Lewis. <laughs> I think 2017 and 2018. We won't see any change at Mercedes after you know after then, who knows? But I do generally agree with you in the sense that Lewis obviously has quite a lot of interest outside of Formula One, whereas maybe someone like uh, I don't know, someone like uh, someone like Kimi Raikkonen, it's racing. It might not necessarily be Formula One cars, mm. but it's racing. It's rally. It's Le Mans. It's whatever. You know, he wants to drive fast vehicles. Lewis, you get the, you do kind of get the vibe that you know he has a bit of other. He things can take he, it or leave it. He can get, moment. he can get his teeth into you know, and and be quite you know satisfied in his own you know creative output. So I, I, I do agree with that. So um, yeah, time will tell. It'll be interesting. <laughs> um, Certainly not going anywhere next season, though. No, uh, a man who is is the the next man who finished uh, down on the list in seventh, Nico Hulkenberg. Um, Again, I think if you think about the race he had, had a puncture three laps in after um, after the thing. So he only uh, after the first stop. So he stopped along with everybody else on lap twenty, changed his tires, yeah. came out, got a puncture, had to come back in. Yeah. Um, but from that point on, and did, and hit the front the of uh, you know, and <laughs> although he changed his nose and thing after hitting the the front of uh, Kimmy's car. That's true, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Which he said, I don't know if you caught this, did he say it hit him in the chin? I'm, I, I never heard that. I'm, I'm, I, 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 he might have said that, I don't know, I never... To try and find a radio like transcript that. for uh, Brazil and, and see if, um, if if that was... I swear that's what I heard. Um, that's what but I heard him he, say. 
once he did the puncture, and, and that was unfortunate, but post-puncture, he, he, you know, he did the Perez, Lewis Hamilton, Rosberg strategy, and, and that was obviously the right, the right one to be on. And, and ultimately, Max, who did the wrong strategy, was able to get by him through tremendous driving. But Nico, you know, he still managed to finish in a solid point-scoring position by, by being on the right tyre at the right time, which is more than you can say for quite a few of them. Yeah, that's true. And it's good for Nico Hülkenberg to just get home in a race like this because he does have quite a few DNFs, Nico Hülkenberg. Yeah, if it's, he is kind of the guy that... Um... Oh, yeah, here it is. Whoa, big shot on the straight. I have something hit in front of... Oh, hit in front of my chin. My front wing, maybe. Okay, so, yeah. He, he, uh, giving I think he's just of his badly, car. Yeah, yeah, badly worded, you know. <laughs> like, it didn't actually scalp him on the face, you know. But... I was just thinking, just blimey, that, you know. That would have been some some scary moment for... For him if it did, given that yeah. the carbon fibre of, of the wing was embedded in his front wing it's kind of you want to see it embedded in Nico Hülkenberg <laughs> uh, Danny Rick had um, a nothing race really didn't he in eighth he didn't ever seem to kind of get it going um, you can understand why they gambled going on the intermediate just because they were they weren't doing anything else were they if they matched, if they matched the Mercedes strategy wise they'd probably not beaten them so and I think I think they'd also um, if you look at it um I think they, I think they thought about the Ferraris as well. I think they looked at it and thought, if the Ferraris come in and intermediates is right, we're screwed. Then we are absolutely <laughs> screwed. We can't wait and see if Ferrari do it with both of our cars uh, to try and double stack them. So let's just, you know, I can, I can kind of understand the the plunge in the first stint. It's the second the, the one was a bit plunge. more because yeah. everybody. Um, Pretty much by the time they put on that that last set of wets, we're like, yeah, this is this is where we are. Everybody's putting in the best, you know, everybody's yep. doing the best times on this. There's no, there's no way that this isn't the right place to be. Yeah, it was the second call that I think was definitely the one that cost him point. Well, cost him several positions. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it was just down to Max's credit that he was able to get back to third. You know, like there's there's no shame in Danny Ricardo finishing where he finished given that the strategy was wrong it just doesn't look as good because max was so good you know he's kind of you know put him to shame a little bit but um given that they got the strategy wrong like danny if they matched the mercedes strategy danny rick would have finished fourth probably at worst so um felipe Nazar, um a drive i think he very much needed to put himself back into the old shop window because um he does seem to be a, a bit of a second class citizen at Sauber these days um <laughs> with uh Ericsson's backers essentially owning the um the the team now um and and what a, you know what a point as well for Sauber this season is it, it, this is the kind of race that they needed because the manner is probably um you know been and it, equal to potentially what the Sauber could do in the dry. If not better, possibly with the Mercedes engine in the back of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like in the dry, the Mana would be more likely to nick a point than the Sauber this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, two points for for Fred Nazar is what I mean. Then that puts them ahead of Mana, is it? In the it does. Yeah, Mana only had the which, one, and I think they've now got uh, two. Sauber have they? two. So it's a little bit heartbreaking for Manor, who, on the whole, I would say, deserved 
yeah. probably deserved it more They've than They've had Sauber. a better season, definitely. Yeah. And just a, a more likable team these days, uh, which makes me a little bit sad saying because I always kind of liked Sauber. But some of the stuff that they've been up to in the last couple of years, um, the driver lineups and just poor organization and poor development. It's just And ne- next season, choosing just, to go for the old engine so that they didn't have to redesign the chassis. It's just a bit, yeah, isn't it? You it's know? The ho- it has all the hallmarks of just like a, re- you know, that's proper Minardi territory. Without, yeah. you know, in in all fairness to Minardi, um, who, God bless Minardi. But that's the that was the whole point about Minardi, wasn't it? it was just like you were like, ah, oh, bless them for trying. <laughs> Whereas Sauber, this is a team that's won Grand Prix before. You yeah, know? not ma- not many, but a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you expect you just expect a little bit better of them. You know. You want to see more from them. And I know it's hard. Finances are difficult and things like that. But, you know, Manor are plugging on. And they have a little bit more. Less, re- they? And you give a little bit more respect for Manor, you know, in the way that they've gone about things. And they've, um, they've gently gone about getting some fairly big names. And they got, but, um, who did it? Was it Bob Bell? Is he at, is he at Manor? I now, think so. I might be getting that completely wrong, but they've definitely poached some people in and around have gone to Manor to look after that team. And you just sort of sit there and just go, well, that's good, isn't it? Because that's, that's some ambition to say, we're not just going to put up with, you know, um, whoever we, we can, you know, get to run the team internally. That's, that's cheap. Cause I'm, I'm sure that those guys aren't, you know, aren't cheap guys to necessarily employ, but the they've got Manor people well. who, who understand really what it takes to run a Formula One team um, and do it properly and do a proper job about it. And ultimately, if you have any ambition to be anything other than last, that's what you've got to do. You have to put some, you know, uh, something on the line to say, right, we're going to invest in this and that's going to be the thing that, you know, helps us move forward. So I'm, I'm definitely... Um, rooting for Mana in a roundabout way. Now I, I, I hope they stay in Formula One and do well. Um, and when they when they had you know when they it looked as if they were they were done what, a season ago a year and a half ago something like that. Mm-hmm. And and you know they properly you know the the couple of guys that were in in that that time running the team did absolutely everything they you know to get to make sure that that team got to the grid in Melbourne and and they they put their life into it to to keep them afloat and stuff and you kind of just go. Uh, you know, you respect that a little bit more than Sauber's, you know, budget trying to do everything yeah. half-assed kind of. Sauber need to Sauber need to be sponsored by Aldi at the moment, don't they? Yeah, they're just yeah, they're just they're trying to do everything on the cheap, and it's like, I know they don't have the money, but there's a way of being. There's a way of about, going racing that makes you feel positive, isn't it? And they don't feel yeah. like a positive team. They feel, yeah, exactly. I mean, so, you, you can't really say much more than that. And but, but fair play to Fred Nasa for getting this this two points because you know it's, it's more than difficult. it's more than his teammate yeah. who owns the team essentially now, yeah. now has and it, done. It, and it's you know it's one of the most difficult races of the season, and he's he's putting a good drive. He's on the right strategy. He's done the same strategy as the winners, so he's on the correct strategy. Probably slightly lucked into his position because of the strategy, but, you know, you could say the same about Perez and stuff and we've praised them, so... If you look at the two guys that finish, as well. that finish after him, you can you can say he's a bit lucky because one of those is Alonso, who had a spin. Yep. yep. And the other one is Bottas, who uh, was on <laughs> intermediate tyres at the end of the race. For for 33 laps, <laughs> he was on enters. 
Like, what is he doing? <laughs> no, I have no idea. How is he not, how is he not in the wall? <laughs> it must have been a, it must have been some kind of Scandinavian thing because Kevin Magnuson also did thirty <laughs> laps on the intermediates at the end as well. <laughs> Unbelievable! Eh? It's just like that. Re- those last thirty laps must have been the most <laughs> desperate of, of both of their careers. They were just like, I actually can't afford to stop. That's where I am now. Now that we've done this, <laughs> this you committed, and he only finished like a second. Bottas only finished a second out of the points behind Alonso, so fair play. And Alonso was, was only a second behind Nazar as well. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean, the enters obviously wasn't the <laughs> wasn't the tighter beyond. So fair play to Bottas. But that fair because that means that Alonso passed Bottas as well. So what you say, Alonso had a spin. I can't. My memory's a bit a bit dull. What Just after happened? the restart, he went. He was up in about tenth. Um, and then spun and ended and rejoined about. Uh, he went onto the grass. It was a bit like um, Vettel's incident, except right, I think yeah, Fernando yeah. might have I vaguely recall it. Might yeah. have done a full pirouette, but he came back on. But came back in like sixteenth, and you were just like, well, that just about sums it up. But you know, Jensen's had this dire race, and Alonso was in it. You know, in a shout of maybe catching up with because at that point I think o- Ocon and um, Ocon looked like scoring points. At yeah, Ocon thing. was ahead of Nasa at that point, and. Um, you're thinking, well, that's two. That's two there for Alonso to catch, um, and in the end, it, it didn't happen. You know what I mean? He got back to his tenth place, which I still think was manful in the last fifteen odd laps of the race or whatever it was he had left, because he didn't have a lot of time either. So, um, Alonso had, ironically, a pretty good race, but he just did it for almost no reward. I mean, he got a point at least. Yeah, um, but that's what I mean. It's the, it was just like that yeah. was like the minimum McLaren I think were thinking they'd get out of the race, um, and they got it. So it's kind of like, could he have been as high as? Well, he'd he'd certainly put him probably ahead of Nasr, probably not ahead of Ricardo. So he, ninth should have been probably at least what he would have gotten if he'd have not gone off the track. So. Uh, but as, as you as you say, 33 laps on the intermediate, which I think is all you need to say about his race, really. Um, he didn't really go anywhere at all. Um, yeah. He, he also stayed out on the intermediates when everybody changed for a long time. He did 11 laps on the inters um, after his early a fairly early stop onto them. So took a lot of pain. Same with Alonso, actually. They both stopped at the same time, switched to inters for 11 laps. Um, whereas Alonso then stuck with it and stuck with the wets once they'd they changed for uh, the last time, um, and Bottas did ten laps on those wets and then decided. That's, mm. Yeah, when you see it in writing there, everybody else is on the wets and Bottas has been on the right tire and went. Ah, I think I'm going to go to the enders for thirty <laughs> laps. Like, <laughs> just you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever you say about there. Ocon gets his best result of this season. But in doing so, kind of condemns Manor to being last in the championship, really. He had it in the palm of his hand and then essentially his pace dropped off the face of the planet, um, despite having done the Mercedes strategy. Yeah, he did the right strategy and just, uh, I guess, just, I mean, you got two guys there in Bottas and Alonso, experienced top-class drivers and, and better machinery, and, and they've managed to to get him. Yeah. Which is a shame, because, you know... He was going well for a while, and it would have been good for. I would have liked to have seen Manor get get a point or two as we've I, w- I wanted to, Manor but... to finish ahead of Sauber. I wanted yeah. them to get the the finances to continue because I think Sauber could have survived just about having come last, um, 
Whereas I think it's that much harder for Mana getting you know zip from from a season, um, despite having probably been more more consistent than Sauber have been. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Danny what Kvyat. Happened to, um, say, what happened to Kvyat? I can't really remember. <laughs> he he looks like he's done some weird inters. intermediate stints. Yeah. So he's um, finished on the right Oh, tire. no. Yeah. You know what happened to him? Um, we get to talk about Julian Palmer here. That's uh, that's why I think he's done that weird three-lap intermediate stint. What happened with Julian? Joe, Joe Palmer essentially ran over his car, over his wheels. And Palmer bust his car. Um, and I think Kvyat then had to come in. I either had a puncture right? or, or, or something wrong with his car. Is that right? I, I don't know why, but that's just completely gone out of my head. I don't. I don't it, you never that. saw it live. They only showed yeah. it as a replay, kind of just before they went and interviewed Julian Palmer to say, "Oh, you're not in the race," because yeah, everybody was surprised. It's like, "Oh, Julian Palmer's retiring. What the hell happened there?" But well, it was. Well, at, it, I think it was, was at the restart. Say. It was on the start finish line, and he right. he ducks to the left um, with more speed, but um, Kvyat is far enough over to the left that there isn't actually space for him to go by and he basically just runs over his back wheel which um, knackers I think Jolien's steering um, uh, and then I think forces Kvyat to, to go into the pits yeah because I remember Palmer retiring and Brando basically being like oh he's in the garage why is he not on the track kind of thing and it was very abrupt you know and I, I, get, I think I, I must not have seen the replay I'd, and I, didn't, I never really got to the bottom of what actually happened so it explains a good, you know explains the daft um, Danny Fiat strategy of being on inters for only three laps. But um, yeah, if you if you look at the tire strats, um, Danny does like three laps on his se- uh, second set of intermediates, and Joni Palmer only does three laps on his wets. Yeah, yeah. So, so they've obviously he had to come yeah. into the pits for them to check the car, and I think at that point they said, "Oh, let's just get the wets on. Uh, get the." wets on then and they, they switched to the right strategy at that point and yeah. they stayed on the wets till the end of the race but by that point the damage had obviously been done I yeah think. He did, he, i think he had to do a long pit stop as well so it was it was done and dusted at that point and he was never going to be as, as high up, high up as, as carlos by that point well, yeah well that's what i was about to say with carlos has obviously shown that there's a bit of pace in the wet in that car you know the fact that they don't have power is neutralized by the rain so yeah. you know there was potential four points if for, for Fiat if he had a bit you know had a bit more luck and you know, someone who's fighting for every point that you know he, he kind of needs. Uh, a bit unfortunate for him, really. Yeah. Uh, Magnussen then comes next. Uh, as we said, another one who decided that they would stick it out on the intermediates um, for the last part of the race. Obviously, this and didn't work. That didn't. <laughs> well, it, it kept him amazingly. That kept kept him ahead of Verline, who was on the wets, um, and Button, who's been on every single tire I think known to man in that race. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to to hear what you have to say about Jensen. Then let's let's hear it. You know, uh, what, what do you have to say about Button's race? I was massively disappointed in Jensen Button this and and Jensen personally. Yeah, um, okay. Because he the qualifying wasn't good, and then he said, "Oh well, only one more of those to go." And I'm like, uh, "Well, even if that's a joke, it's pretty." You know, well, okay, all right then. I know it's not great, but you know, let's let's be a little bit more positive and then basically just said oh i don't know what happened to the car was was you know rubbish or rubbish it was rubbish in free practice three and rubbish here i couldn't get anything uh, front end here and back end here and like i understand that jensen's style requires him to feel he's got that kind of control over the car but 
Alonso finishes in tenth, and I just, I, I kind of felt that Jensen was just like, uh, meh, the whole race, uh, and then that led onto a sort of, shall we pit? Let's pit. Oh, uh, well, it's not working. Shall I pit? Ah, uh, well, I pitted now, guys, but I don't like these tyres. And then the the tyre guys are going, well, but if we pit, we've kind of done it for absolutely no reason. Is are you really? There's no. Oh yeah, well, if I don't, I'm just going to go into the wall. And you're like, oh, all right, well, okay. So we do everything that you said. You stop more times than pretty much everybody else. Um, and that's what you're going to get out of it. And I just, the whole weekend just felt like, if you're going to be like this, get stuff of Van Dorn in the car. Give him, give mm-hmm. him the end of the season in the in in the car, and let Jensen go off and not finish the season. That's fine then, isn't it? If he really doesn't want to do it. Don't do it. And you're talking to somebody who is a massive Jensen Button fan. I love Jensen to pieces. But I'm a McLaren fan first. And if you really don't feel like you want to support what the team is doing because it's so disappointing and it's so terrible, then just don't do it. You don't need to do it. There's there's a driver sat there ready and waiting to drive that car and drive it next season. So do one or the other. Be, be the great guy you've been all season who's been really positive and, you know felt like you're soldiering on and doing your best and we and we all understand it's it's a another crappy season to be in a McLaren yet another crappy season in a McLaren for Jensen Button but if you you know if you're leaving at the end of the season then at least try and go out with it feeling like a high even if it isn't uh so I was just really disappointed but at the end of the race I was just like I say I was just like well if you really feel like that then let's get Stoffel in the car and give him some Grand Prix experience it's not going to make any difference to you if all you're waiting to do is waiting for the end of the season. Finish now, then. Yeah, succinctly put, I couldn't. Don't really have anything to add. Um, it does just give that impression this weekend specifically that, that he was just kind of over it. Anyway, it's, it's just, you know, like, you've you've more or less summed it up. Um, don't really have anything else to add. Uh, I'm not particularly. I don't. I don't mind Jensen, uh, but I've never been a Jensen. Consider myself a Jensen Button fan. I'm not a McLaren fan, so I don't really have the same obvious, um, you know, passion for 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 what's going on there as what as what you do. But yeah, I mean, you can't can't argue with anything that you're saying in the sense that you know if he doesn't if he doesn't want to be there, then like you say, there's a guy who arguably could should would have been in that car the last season, two seasons. So yeah, like. There's a guy there who can do the job and has proven how good he can and will be. So get him in. Um, so now we get to our did not finishes. Um, Esteban Gutierrez, who <laughs> seems to be leaving Haas on somewhat of a uh, of a low note. Um, yeah, that, that 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 relationship has soured big time, hasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's not he's not a happy bunny, is he? About being dropped. No. One, <laughs> and why would you be? Um, but it was strange to see a, a team principal grab a, a driver by the arm like it, he was an errant child. Um, apparently all laughed off afterwards. Steiner and and Gutierrez both saying it wasn't a big deal or anything like that. It looked worse on TV. Um, but I, <laughs> I think that's putting the best spin on it possible. I think Gutierrez was probably... <laughs> saying a lot of things that Steiner I don't think really wanted to hear <laughs> and I think Steiner was quite probably telling him um, I'm getting remember, you frustrated but you aren't gonna, you, if so. you tell anybody that then <laughs> you're you're for the high jump mate w- wind your neck in <laughs> um, what, what was his reason for 
for not finishing. I can't, it's just a technical thing. I think the car fail, failed. He, he got, got it, brought it back to the pits, but there was just a problem with the car. Okay. Um, then we had the crash, guys. Massa, Reichen, oh, Ericsson, Felipe Georgia. Massa. Oh. oh. That was that, so heartbreaking, spent, but so inspirational. Like 10, minutes, like 10 minutes just watching him walk back with a flag because we were under the safety car yeah. at the time. We could just sit and watch Massa's, you know, emotional farewell with the flag around his neck, you know. Hey, I've been Felipe Massa's biggest fan for 15 years, so I'm sad to see him go. It's the right time, you know. You know, all good things must come to an, come to an end, and it is the right time for Felipe to to um to go from Formula One, especially from the Williams team. They they do need a change there, I think. But yeah, I mean, what can you say? He's home Grand Prix, crashing out in front of his he's a door in public. It, it would have been nice to have seen him get you know get get home and get points on his last. I think but. ironically, it was a better send off. I mean, I, if he'd have I, finished you know, at 11th. I actually, I actually completely agree because it gave him that moment to. It gave to you that moment that nobody is going to ever forget, are they? Of Felipe no. waving to the crowd and the crowd responding, getting the flag, and then getting the little um, guard of honour from Mercedes and Ferrari as he, as he trudged back to Williams. I think was just and seeing all the Ferrari guys hug him and stuff was just like, uh, you know, and then his wife and his kid run up and it was just yeah. like and he was sobbing his eyes out and it's amazing how big a hero he is there. He's a proper proper hero to the Sao Paulo Interlagos you know crowd for a man that as good as he is, he's a he's a very good race driver. But you know he's never won a world championship. He's he's won a few Grand Prix, but obviously he went close in in two thousand and eight. But he, he gets that. You know, that hero's welcome like he's a proper, you know, multi-time superstar world champion, which is, you know, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a testament to the Brazil the, the Brazil fans and how um, how much they love the game, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. And it, it's very hard not to like Felipe Massa. Occasionally he's done things that I think, oh, you've been a bit of a div there. But generally he's always come across as a really nice guy who really loves racing um and you kind of feel has that proper f1 driver aura about him do you know what i mean the you know racing hard but racing fair and and all the bits and pieces you know if you ever found out that felipe massa had cheated in a race or something like that you'd be devastated because he just doesn't come across as that kind of you know kind of guy um who would do that he'd rather not you know not win if if it meant cheating or, or doing something underhand, you know, he just, you know, he just wants to go out and race and drive. And, um, and he's just, he's just been such a nice guy off track that. Yep. Oh, I, I completely agree. Uh, he's just him and Rubens, the two of them, the two Brazilians for me, you know, they're both just good people, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'll miss Felipe. I, as I say, it's, it is the right time for him to go and you know he's, he's he's what 35 36 now he's had a good career not 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 a world championship which will always you know that'll always sting with him that he missed out in 2008 but he's got nothing you can look back fondly on his career and you know that he was he was a top top driver for a long time um particularly in that 2006 2007 2008 period where he was, drove with uh, Michael Schumacher yeah really just really good um Good, good, good guy, good driver, and came from that Sauber team that that I used to like. Yeah, you know when they, when they brought through guys like Kimi Raikkonen and Felipe Massa. Um, just going back to Sauber a little bit there, 
the um you know that's that that's the that's the legacy that Sauber have, and that's why it's disappointing to see them go the way they are because they've got the you know think of the guy so many good guys came yeah. through the Sauber, you know Heinz Alfredson drove a Sauber I'm sure you know there's a few of them, uh, and you know race winners have come out of that team, championship winners have come out of that team, and then now they're you know doing what they're doing is just a bit bit, bit sad really so. Credit to Felipe. I'm I'm glad he got the send off that that he deserved, and you know I will miss him. Hopefully, we'll still see him pottering about at, at racetracks and things like that. And, and you know he, he he seems like the kind of guy that certainly will still show his face around F1 in retirement. I'm sure, especially when we're down in um down in America and and South America. So I'm sure we'll see a bit more of Felipe even in retirement. So we covered the other two crashes um, already in um, Palmer, Raikkonen, and. Ericsson. Um, so that was the Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it stressed me out having to wait so long in between yeah. periods and stuff like that. It was stressing me out. But yeah, it was good. Uh, had Nico and Lewis had a bit more of a duel up front, that would have been the icing on the cake. But there's certainly enough chaos and enough fun to to certainly uh, you know enjoy it and, and make it a good one. Max obviously stole the show. He was the guy that had you on the edge of your seat for the majority of the race. Uh, I'm happy. Um, you know, Rosberg goes to Abu Dhabi, needing only a podium, second or third is good enough to win the World Championship. You'd given him that in March, you'd have taken your hand off. So as someone who wants to see Nico win the championship, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. I think we're... <laughs> We're left with a, a you know a single race showdown, uh, and hopefully that goes without some kind of hitch that's gonna. Uh... What do you think? Um, the two Mercedes one and two on the grid. Uh, Alan Prost, Ayrton Senna into the first corner. Nico takes him out. Well, he I don't think championship I, by default. <laughs> I don't think Nico either wants to do that or can he do wouldn't. that because if there's any chance that he does that and Lewis walks away from it, then. Um, he loses the championship. He's lost the championship. So <laughs> yeah. he... obviously, I'm I'm only jesting. I don't expect that to happen. But I mean, if they did, if, look at at Spain. It happened organically in Spain. Um, if it did happen, he'd be the champ. So yeah, I think all it all all that it does now is um, give Nico a, a better buffer than he's had before, he, he, and I don't think he, he, he will. I don't think he can gamble on doing anything too outlandish. I think if he gets a run on Lewis, I think he might he'll try it. Do you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think he'll just go, ah, that's fine. I'll, I'll sit five seconds behind Lewis and just see how it goes. Um, but I don't expect to see him diving into the you know outside of a corner or anything. Um, Stupid. <laughs> no, he'll he'll want to um, protect himself more from third. Um, I mean, the best thing about. Brazil and, and going into Abu Dhabi is that Nico can if Max Verstappen for example has, has one of his wonder races and is on fire that's okay Nico can afford Max to come second and still be you know st- and third would still see him the championship so he, he had like you say he has that extra buffer now where even if Max you know or, or Danny Ricardo, let's not forget Danny but if one of the Red Bulls you know gets it right properly hooked up and, 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 and poses a threat to them because they have 
posed a little bit more of a threat in the second half of the season, the Red Bulls. They've been a little bit closer to the Mercedes. Not 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 really close to win races, but you know, making their presence felt a little bit. So if we do get that in Abu Dhabi, Rosberg does have that buffer. It's hard to see how he doesn't finish on the podium if his car doesn't, you know, if his car gets to the finish line. It's hard to see how he doesn't finish on the podium on pure pace. So really, all we're, all Lewis has probably got to pray for, for a breakdown uh, from Nico, which is, you know, sounds silly. He'd be wanting his own team to have a failure, but that's, that's, that's probably what it's going to have to come down to for, for Lewis. Yeah. I, 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 as someone who is well documented and wants Nico to win, I'll be watching from behind the sofa for sixty laps in Abu Dhabi, just praying that that car gets to the end of the end of the finish line. Just anything, anything but a breakdown. If Nico had a really bad race and lost the championship because he had a bad race, I'd, I'd accept it. But if his car broke down and uh, on the on the on the deciding showdown, that would be just the the most heartbreaking thing. I know Lewis has had failures this season as well, so but yeah, I just I, I'm going to be watching through. <laughs> through my fingers put it that way yeah absolutely um but i'll have to say that if nothing else i'm actually quite glad that the season will be done either way um i have found 2016 as a commentator on f1 uh and you know somebody who's spending a lot of time around other people's comments and other people's opinions about F1 as, as we do with, you know, being on the Twitter and Facebook and, and all the things for the podcast. Um, I found 2016 to feel really a bit, a bit of a toxic season all yep. around. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to have an opinion on a race overall as being good or bad. Um, and, you know, even having an opinion over how a driver's done, but there's just so much, um, anger and um sort of nastiness around who's winning what and um even around max verstappen it's now now you get the whole uh if you say that anything detrimental it's now some massive crime uh just in the same way that it's ended up being the same to say anything bad about lewis or nico because one side takes it all and I, I'd almost be happier if, if in 2017 it, everything gets turned off his head Mercedes aren't anywhere near the front um, uh, and actually Max isn't either I'd, I'd almost be happier what I'd like is McLaren to win obviously but if, <laughs> if Ferrari won 2017 and it was a complete you know completely the other way around that'd I, be cool <laughs> I'd, I'd live with that because it would be somebody different and it would be yeah, completely nah, different and it I wouldn't understand. be something from this season carrying on that's just going to make it unbearable to want to talk about Formula One. I I completely uh, sort of understand what you're saying. It just it has felt a bit tiring at times. Um, I have enjoyed it. I always enjoy Formula One, no matter what. I enjoy Formula One, but I I I do get where where you're coming from. And for me, like I I I really 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 want Nico to win this World Championship to the point where I'm almost. Just when I'm watching the races, I'm just like I'm finding myself more stressing about I'm not making you know not crashing or not getting a DNF and things like that. That I'm I'm thinking about that more than you know actually just relaxing and enjoying it. So, like I I, I will feel I feel almost under pressure for Nico to win this championship for some strange reason, even though that's 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 stupid because I've nailed my colours so vocally to the mast. It will be like a weight off my shoulders, knowing that if he gets over the line and gets it done, knowing that that's it over. So, um, yeah, 
let's do Abu Dhabi and then uh, we'll we'll take it from there. We'll we'll enjoy the winter and and hopefully come back a bit refreshed and. Like you say, with these reg changes, just, yeah, turn it on its head. Why not? Let's just mix it right up because, you know, it's, it's been a good couple of seasons, but the Mercedes dominance is um, kind of is wearing thin now a little bit in the same way that it began to wear thin with Red Bull and, you know, change is, change is good. So. Absolutely. So um, off to the duel in the desert uh, for Abu Dhabi uh, next week. Uh, title will be decided uh, and we will bring you all the action uh, and comment from that race once it's been done and then we will tidy up the season with our um, traditional season ending finale episode uh, where hopefully as we have done in the last few seasons we'll get a few special guests on to go over what was uh, the 2016 season um, for now make sure you keep up to date with everything that's going on in the podcast by following us uh, on twitter at last lap podcast uh, liking our Facebook page, uh, just search for the Last Lap Podcast on Facebook. Um, our website is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk, uh, and of course, you can subscribe to the podcast and get it delivered to your device uh, the moment it comes out by finding us on iTunes, TuneIn, or Stitcher. Uh, and that, uh, or you can obviously, if you're an Android device, you can follow the uh, RSS feed on our website to get uh, all of the devices, uh, all of the. Uh, the devices <laughs> all of the episodes downloaded to your device not all your devices download to your episodes because that makes no sense uh so that's all from us this week thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you after after Abu Dhabi. cheers bye-bye bye-bye